Uh, I want to talk about the lifestyle of Jesus as our series um, because we're looking at some of the realities that if we want the life of Jesus, we have to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus. We can't expect to see the same fruit that Jesus had through his life and live an entirely different life. We can't expect not to be part of the habit force or the, the way Jesus lived and then see the fruits of Jesus. So this is what we're looking for. Now, although Jesus was born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, in other words, his very nature, Philippians 2 says, who being in very nature God, right? This is who Jesus was. Although that's who he was, he still needed to be led by the Holy Spirit. There was still a moment where Jesus had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order for him to accomplish everything that he was supposed to do. And we cannot suppose that we're not filled, infused, and led by the Holy Spirit can accomplish all that God has on our lives. If I want to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus, I must, uh, the life of Jesus, I must embrace his lifestyle. And Jesus' lifestyle demonstrated a tremendous need and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes down, is at the beginning of his ministry, he comes down to the Jordan where his cousin John the Baptist is baptizing people in a baptism of repentance. And John is a fiery preacher telling people, you better shine up you ugly things and repent. And Jesus comes down and he walks into the water and he walks up to John and he says, me too. And John says, there is no way that this is appropriate. I need to be baptized by you. you. I can't be the one who baptizes you. And besides, what do you got to repent for? And Jesus says, listen, John, you don't understand it at the moment. I need to take a brand new mind. I need to completely change the way I've been doing things. And you don't understand it at the moment. This is for righteousness sake. So baptize me, John, and stop arguing. And John baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit of God comes out of heaven physically, bodily, like a dove, lands on Jesus. And from that moment onwards, Jesus is now being led by the Spirit of God into ministry. Jesus, who was born of a woman, born under the law, the Scripture says, uh, lived a sinless life. But when it came to walking in all the things that God had called him to do, he said, I need to change, the, I need a revolution of the way I'm thinking. I need to take a new mind. I have been led now by the law. I've obeyed the law perfectly, but now I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God. And if Jesus needed that, you and I need that. There is no way on this planet that you and I are going to walk in the ways of God without being led and empowered and suffused by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't care how cute you are. I don't care how much doctrine you have in your heart and head. I don't care how much scripture you can quote. Jesus maintained that he did nothing that he hadn't seen his father do. And he said nothing that he hadn't heard his father say. He was that dependent on what the Holy Spirit was doing in his life. We want to emulate Jesus. That's our aim here. And therefore, we must speak in the series about being led by the Holy Spirit. Some people call it being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some people call it being empowered by the Spirit. Some people say when the Spirit of God came on you. I don't mind what your terminology is. It's indispensable to our walk with God. Because the lifestyle of Jesus cannot be attained without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the subject of our message today. So let's go to Romans 8.14. 
And there's this one scripture that's probably the most quoted on the subject, and it comes from Romans 8.14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, I have a theory that a sermon that uses a text without a context is probably hiding the con. Too many sermons I hear recently, this, just, this is for free and totally separate. There are two primary ways that people are going into error recently, is that they, they focus down onto a single text and they preach out of a single text without putting it in its context. The context of the, the chapter it's in, the context of the book it's in, the context of the covenant it's in. Too many people preaching a text without a context, and oftentimes you can go wrong there. The second way is people are diving into uh, etymology. And they're kind of, well, in the original Greek, this actually means completely the opposite of what you think it means. Okay? Watch out for those two. That was for free. Okay. That's my pleasure. <laughs> so I want to talk about the context of Romans 8.14. It's necessary for, for us to put that, that scripture into a context so that you can see. So I'm going to take a little bit of a run-up. It's not the, the entire context it's in. I'm just going to take it in the context of Romans 6, Romans 7, and then Romans 8. And we're going to build the context of Paul's argument so that you can understand it. Paul is basically going to start in Romans 6 and say, guys, listen, I want to tell you that sin no longer has a dominion over you. Then he's going to talk about if you died with Christ, then you're dead to the law. So sin doesn't have a hold on you and the law doesn't have a hold on you. And then Paul is going to explain what it was like when he was under the law. And then he comes into chapter 8 and he says there is no condemnation. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. And then he's going to say... The truth is, you're subject to a better law than the law of Moses. And then he's going to talk about the fact that Jesus accomplished what the law could not. And then he's going to say that the righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in you who believe in Jesus. And then he's going to say that if you have a, a mind that's controlled by your, your spirit, it'll be life and peace. But if you allow your mind to be controlled by the flesh, it'll be death to you. Because a, a fleshly mind is just an enmity with God and it's always resisting God. And then he's going to say if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you have life in you. And if you have that Holy Spirit in you and his life, then you have an obligation. You have an obligation to walk with the Spirit. And then he's going to say, you're most like God. You look like his children the most when you're led by his spirit. You tracking? So let's jump into this. Uh, I want to take you through those verses and we're going to go quickly. You're going to have to, this is like a context sport. You're going to have to engage with me. All right. So here we go quickly. Romans 6, 6 to 17. For we, sin no longer has dominion over us. This is the point Paul's making. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. For sin will not have dominion over you. Is anybody unclear about the fact that Paul's really clear that sin doesn't have dominion over anybody who's in Christ? Okay. Thanks be to God that once you were slave to sin, you have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching from which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, sin no longer has dominion over you. Right? He's very emphatic. It's clear. You've been completely remade. You've been born again. You've become a new creation. And there's nothing about that. So everybody's like, yay. Now Paul jumps into chapter 7. And chapter 7 is one of the most misunderstood and misused portions of scripture for people who want to excuse the sin in their own life. And he says, now, he said, if you've died, 
you're dead to the law. Because he uses this analogy of a woman who's married to a guy, and then, then her husband dies, and then she's freed. She's no longer in a covenant of marriage with a guy, because he's dead. And so he says this, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. You're dead to sin, but you're also dead to the law. Verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now... We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Is anybody unclear about the fact that Paul said, you're not dead to the law? It's quite easy to see, right? The point is, we've died to the law through the body of Christ, and that which used to hold us captive, so that we can serve in a new way of the Spirit. Now, verse 21. Paul is speaking as somebody who's under the law. In, in verse 1 of this chapter 7, he says, Now, I'm writing to people. You guys know the law, right? You, I, I know. So Paul is trying to convince people who are trying to find their righteousness under the law by obedience to the law. And that was Paul's constant struggle in his ministry because people kept saying, No, you're preaching a Jesus, but they also have to obey the Jewish law. And Paul was saying, No, we've been freed from obedience to the Jewish law. You just have to believe in Jesus. And they kept saying, No, 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 no. They must be circumcised. They must come to Jerusalem. They must do all of that. Paul's, no. So Paul is trying to talk to those people and Paul is saying, guys, remember me. I used to be you. I was one of the best at being you. I was advancing above many of my own age. I had all the pedigree. I was the, 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 the perfect Jewish little boy, blue-eyed Jewish boy. I was born of the right of the favored tribe. I was circumcised on the right day. I was taught by Gamaliel. I was advancing above many of my age. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. But Paul says, but I remember what it was like. And he says, I know what this is, what you guys are going through. I find, he says, now I'm under the law, right? Now I find this law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This is not Paul saying this is my current state. He's saying this was my state under the law because he's just proven that I'm dead in Christ. I'm dead to sin and I'm dead to the law. Now in chapter 7 he comes back and says, but I remember what it was like. Where some of you are living. Guys, let me tell you. I remember. I know what it's like. I'm here. I'm under the law. I'm trying my best and I can't get it right. And then he asks the question, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body that's driving me to death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is basically saying, when you're under the law, this is how it is. But now he describes this personal problem. He was trying to gain righteousness by the law, but he just found he couldn't ever do it. But he ends with this great cry, who's going to save me from this? And he goes, thanks be to God, Jesus has. Are you tracking? Yep. So now we, we jump to Romans 8 verse 1. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How much condemnation is for those in Christ? No. 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 Oh, no, no, just this little piece. No. No. Somebody goes, yeah, yeah, but you, no. Condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. You know why? You're subject to a better law. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If I take a stone and I throw it up as hard as I can, that stone's going to go high 
and then it's going to come down. Because it has no life in it. And it's subject to the law of gravity. I'll throw it up, it'll come down. But when a bird decides, I need to fly 3,000 miles south or north, wherever it happens to be, to get away from the winter, it starts flying, and it doesn't come down. Because there's life in the bird. And Paul says the law of the spirit of life, the, the spirit who lives in you, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, Jesus accomplished what the law couldn't. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature. The law required mankind, sinful nature, to partner with it in order for it to be accomplished. So the Bible says the law was powerless because it was weakened by your sinful nature and my sinful nature. What the law was powerless to do and it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. God wasn't depending on the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son, born of a woman, born under the law, in the likeness of sinful nature, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. That's how God did away with sin in the flesh. He didn't rely on my flesh to overcome sin. He relied on his son to break its power in humankind. This is happy dance time. Praise God. Verse 4. The standards of righteousness that the law required have been fully met in you if you believe in Jesus. That's... Verse 2 of the happy dance. In order that righteous requirements of law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. Some of you are looking like, I'm making this up. I'm not. I'm just trying, that's why I do it like this. Like there, there's, this, there's the verse. Verse 5. Spiritual minds have peace. Fleshly minds experience death. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind that's governed by the flesh is death. The mind that's governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7. A mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Basically, Paul's saying, listen, either you've been born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you, in which case your mind can be full of the presence of God and your mind can start to think about different things, or you don't have the Spirit of God and your mind is unredeemed and you live according to your flesh, but the mind that's controlled by the flesh is hostile to God. It's unsubmitted and it cannot please God. All right? The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But, Paul says, but, this is not your situation. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed God's Spirit lives in you, and if anyone doesn't have God's Spirit, then they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, even though your body is going to age and die because that's part of the consequences of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you are righteousness of God in Christ. Hello? And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So basically, Paul is just building this beautiful theology that there is a radical digital difference between those who know Jesus and those who don't. And if you understand that, if you've been born again, if you become a new creation, then you're in the state where there is life and the Spirit of God is living in you. And so Paul says, listen, you have to learn to cultivate a deliberate no. Cultivate a deliberate no. Let's go to Romans 8. Because you have an obligation to the Holy Spirit. You have been living in this world. If you're unredeemed, you, your mind has been unsubmitted to God. You've been living in the confines of what, you, what is able to be done by any normal human being. And it falls significantly short of the glory of God. And so that's all you've been able to do. But now you've been born again. Now you've believed in Jesus. You've been transformed from the inside out. The old sinful you has been circumcised off you. The old you have been put to death. You've been buried with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You've been seated with Christ. You've been filled with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You've been given the authority of God, and you've been given a commission of God to go into this world and be salt and light. God has empowered you in every possible way. And he says, listen, now I want you to live in this way, but I don't want you to live on your own strength. I want you to live in dependence and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to learn to say no to what the enemy is trying to do. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. To live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We are born of God's Spirit, and His life fills our being. And the law of the Spirit of life has emancipated us from the law of sin and death. The life of the Holy Spirit in us has transformed our thinking. He has changed our natures. He has revolutionized our value system. And he constantly lives in us to empower us. No wonder the Bible says you have an obligation. This is not just, oh, uh, well, God has made everything new about you. Okay, now, now the worst thing you could possibly do is go back and act like somebody who, who hasn't had that revolution happen inside of you. I had a friend many years ago who had a diesel truck and the engine burned out. And it just so happened that he had a, I don't know, one of his father's friends worked at the Ford factory and he said, well, I got this, I can give you this like, brand new Ford engine and uh, we'll just put it in your old truck. And he goes, that's great, except that truck was a diesel and this was a gas. So they, they did some modifications so they could put a gas engine in an old diesel car, because it basically works similarly, but just different cooling systems, etc., etc. So they figured it out, and he's got this, but it still says diesel on the back of the car. That's a gas engine. And so the, the danger is when you pull up at the trunk, he had, to, he had to chip the D off the back of the car, because when you pull up at the trunk, people want to fill diesel in. You go, whoa, whoa, no, no. It's gas. Okay, but it says diesel. That's a gas car. God took your whole engine out. And he used to run on the flesh. And he took that whole engine out and he put a brand new engine in. And he goes, no, listen, listen, listen. You have an obligation. Don't fill up with diesel. If you fill up with diesel, it's going to clog up the engine. It's going to jerk you away and you'll end up on the side of the road. 
Are we tracking? Yep. You have an obligation. Fill up with gas. What's the gas? The power of the Holy Spirit. You're designed. You're born. You were created. You're God's handiwork. Created a perfect engine that functions beautifully on the power of the Holy Spirit. You become alive to God and you have an obligation to the Spirit. Don't be putting flesh in your tank. Well, well, I'm under grace. Sin doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Sin, you put flesh in the tank, it'll, it'll mess you up. Sin's still a bad thing. Sin's still a horrible thing. You should avoid it at all costs. Fear of God will teach you to push that aside. Develop a deliberate no. No, I'm not doing that. I used to be that. Throw off what used to be true about you. Old patterns of behavior. Say a definitive no, always. Now that may be who I used to be, but it is no longer who I am. No, no, not putting that gas in the tank, no. Learn to cultivate a deliberate no. It's easier to say no at the offer than to partake and then say no halfway in between. Learn to say a deliberate and instant no. No, that's not who I am. Because I know who I am. The enemy is cultivating such a distinct and deliberate lie, especially to this young generation. You're missing out. You're missing out. The real fun, the real life is here in illicit sin. But I want to tell the young people that's, that's the worst lie. I don't believe that lie. You're missing out. You're not missing out anything. You're missing out on the destruction of your life and the abuse and the brokenness that comes with it. You're missing out on all the destruction that the enemy means to destroy you by. But when you turn to God and you turn to the Holy Spirit, He empowers you, gives you identity, clarity. He gives you um, uh, just a confidence in your own spirit. He, he'll empower you to all the blessing that He's dreamed for you. You're not missing out on anything except the destruction of the enemy. And by the way, this weekend, there are two things that we're coming up on a conference this weekend. The two things that I'm particularly trusting God for. One is we have, a, we have an evening, Saturday evening, there's a meeting for middle school and high schoolers with Joshua Mills. I'm so trusting God for a beautiful meeting there. If you're a young person, please come to that. I think you're going to find we're trusting God to move in glory. And then there's a, there's a meeting at lunchtime. I know these are not for everybody, but there's a meeting at lunchtime for the worship team with Joshua Mills, and I'm excited for that, for the worship team, so very cool. Uh, that was for free. Yeah. <laughs> Cultivated deliberate no. Why? Because you are supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. You're designed to be led by the Holy Spirit. Your best life, the best fruit, the best thing you could do is to be responsive to the Holy Spirit, and you can't be responsive to the Holy Spirit and to your flesh. So learn a deliberate no. Greg, it sounds like a work. No, the Holy Spirit will empower your yes. no. Because yes. Paul said, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you'll live. So the kinds of prayer that needs to be praised, Holy Spirit, I'm struggling with this temptation. Could you help me? Help me, Lord. Destroy this in my life. Break its power. I'm saying no, Holy Spirit, help. 
He loves that prayer. He loves answering it. Well, I couldn't possibly pray, God. I couldn't talk to God about those. No, he, he sees it anyway. Might as well engage him. Holy Spirit, help me with this. Secondly, lean towards the Holy Spirit. Because we're most like God's children when we're led by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By Him we cry, Abba, Father. Greg, I'm for this. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. How? Tell me how. Let me tell you what I do. Number one, speak to him. Fellowship with him. Philippians 2 said, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any tenderness or compassion, if you have any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, Paul's saying, he's just assuming that these are valid truths about believers. If you have comfort from his love, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. But Paul just assumes that the church is in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Make sense? He just assumes this. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The Bible anticipates that there is fellowship between you and the Holy Spirit. So speak to him. Lord, what should I do today? Lord, could you help me? I'm standing with somebody. Lord, give me some wisdom. Inspire them, enthuse them, encourage them, protect them. This conversation with the Holy Spirit is ongoing and it's constant. This is how we pray continuously. Why? Because it's an ongoing conversation and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's ongoing almost constantly no matter what we're doing during the day. Speak to Him. Lord, could you help me? Ask him questions, number two. I found that things that intrigue me are usually things that the Holy Spirit has put in front of me to intrigue me. Lord, that's interesting. Hmm. I see something in the Word, or somebody says something, and it just tweaks me. That's interesting. I ask, Lord, Talk to me about that. What's that thing? That usually is, is a, an adventure in the making for me with the Holy Spirit. He goes, oh, I'm glad you asked. What do you need to know? Lord, could you, could you tell me what's going on? Could you, could you show me? I, I need help. Because Jesus promised. He, he will tell you about things that are yet to come. I'm not asking for weird stuff here. This is what Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would do. Can you explain this to me, Lord? I don't understand. Sometimes when I read scripture, I say that to the Lord. I say, because the, the, the scripture, the sword of the Spirit, right, is the word of God. So I go, Holy Spirit, can we talk? I don't understand. When you, you say, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. 
I don't understand how I'm supposed to do that. Because that's not what's happening on the inside of me. And I'd like it to be. I'd like to go, woo, yay, joyful. But I don't. You all look so spiritual like you never think that stuff. I go, Lord, help me. Because he's the counselor, the comforter, the one who's called alongside to help, the wonderful counselor. Sometimes I'm happy to say I hear him instantly. He speaks to me, whispers, pops up, the answer comes, and I go, ooh, that's so nice. And sometimes I ask a question, and I don't hear anything. And two days later, I'm somewhere in a different environment, and suddenly the answer hits me. I go, no way. Some questions I've asked months later. He goes, I don't, why did it take so long? Because you weren't ready. Sometimes we think we can handle the truth. Amen? Sometimes it takes a day or two, and the Holy Spirit orchestrates an answer to a previously asked question. And often it's moments of calm reflection which implies that I'm alone with him often enough to have moments of calm reflection. Hello. So I lean towards him. I pray. I ask him for help or wisdom. I offer situations or people or both to him internally. Go, Lord. Number three, I trust him for power. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be witnesses, martyr, the Greek word. You'll be martyrs for me. Now, I need power for a lot of things in my life. I need power to walk holy. I need power against temptation. I need power to walk in the nature of Jesus. I, I say, Lord, help me with this. I, I need your power. Empower me, Lord. Fill me afresh uh, destroy this thing that's come up against me. David said a bunch of times, Lord, these enemies are too strong for me, so I need your help. I run to you. I'm trusting in you. And that's exactly what he loves to do. Because you will receive power when he comes on you. And so I, I've learned to trust the Holy Spirit for power. Number four, pray in the Spirit. Well, pray in tongues. Well, that's not the only way you can pray in the Spirit. Okay, well, then pray in English. In the spirit. It doesn't matter what tongue it is, but I found that tongues is sometimes a really helpful thing to pray. Because I don't know what to pray. So I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit pray through me. And the best thing I found about praying in the spirit, if you want to stick to English, is pray for other people. Practice on other people. Lord, tell me what to pray for them. It's unselfish. Lord, I want to pray for this person. Tell me what to pray. Start praying for them. Then switch over to yourself. Number five, position yourself to hear. Go to places and do the things that are necessary for you to have enough peace of mind to hear his voice. Position yourself. Habakkuk 2. He says, 
I will position myself on the ramparts and I'll stand there and wait to see what the Lord will say to me in regards to this question I've asked. He asked a question and then he positioned himself for the answer. For me, journaling works. That's just the way I'm wired and my personality and your personality may be something different. I'm just saying, for me, that works. So the more times I sit down and take some time and pray and start to journal, the more God speaks to me. Well, God's not speaking to me. Well, when last did I journal? It's been three days. Well, then we go, when did last did the Lord speak to you? Yeah, three days ago. Hello? Position yourself to hear God's voice. Lord, what are you saying to me? And I'm, I'm, it's remarkable to me how faithful the Holy Spirit will be to speak to you if you're faithful to listen and to record what he says. How are you led by the Holy Spirit? Well, that's what I do. Fellowship with Him. I ask Him questions. I trust Him for power. I pray in the Spirit. And I position myself to hear. I've had so many, so many moments when I position myself to hear that when, I, when I'm listening, then He speaks to me. And I walk that day into a situation where the very thing He told me this morning is exactly what is necessary. It's astounding. Oh, well, Greg, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? And Paul goes on to, to explain that the Holy Spirit doesn't make us slaves again to fear, but being under His influence will bring about an intimacy with our Heavenly Father. His ministry will cause us to cry, Abba, is what the Scripture says. And if your theology, the theology you're believing, creates a distance between you and God the Father, and you're fearful of His judgments, then I'm saying it's bad theology, because the Spirit of God will draw you to intimacy with the Father, and you'll cry tenderly, Abba. The Spirit you receive does not make you a slave again to fear. Rather, the spirit you received has brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So lean into him intentionally. Give me words to say, Lord. Fill me with your thoughts. Speak to my heart with your wisdom. Stir creativity in me to benefit the people around me. Empower the nature of Jesus in me. Keep a watch on my tongue. This is the posture of continuous prayer and the Holy Spirit loves to identify with us. And then lastly, I want to say, identify with Jesus. Romans 8.16. For the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If, indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. You're an heir of God. You're a co-heir with Jesus. That always embarrasses me. I'm slightly embarrassed. Because I, I'm a co-heir with Jesus and he did all the work. He took all the pain. And I'm a co-heir with him. But the scripture says, if you share in his sufferings, you'll also share in his glory. This is a call to not distance myself when it's uncomfortable to be with Jesus. I, I distance myself when, when my 
my peers don't think that it's fashionable to, to take that line. In my generation doesn't think that this is fine. So I distance myself from Jesus. But when it comes to the inheritance, well, then I want to be first in line. No, no. He says, listen, listen, guys, you show that you're partnering with Jesus, which means that you partner with him all the time. And when people think it's cool, then you go, yes. And when people think it's the worst thing you can possibly do, you go, sounds like a personal problem. Because I'm partnering with Jesus. And I'm okay in the bad times to be known as the one who's partnering with Jesus. Because when the, when the inheritance comes up, then uh, I'll be known in heaven as the one who partnered with Jesus. So he says, if you share in his sufferings, if you share in the pressures, if you share in the, in the bad reputation, if you share with Jesus in who Jesus is, then you share in everything with Jesus. If you share his sufferings, you share in his glory. It's not a mix and match situation. Your engine is designed. It works well. It's oiled by the life of the Holy Spirit. Your relationship with Him is vital. Your posture towards Him is important. Lean in. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the grown-up children of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your spirit whom you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you're so faithful, Lord, that you always do what Jesus said you would do. Lord, we know we need you. And so for every one of us in this room, Lord, we open up our hearts again and say, come, Lord, and take up the position of lordship. Lead us. Lead us where you want us to go. Teach us, train us, and empower us. In Jesus' name we pray.